The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC, and here is your top five at five. Welcome to Jobs Friday. How many workers joined or rejoined the workforce in October? We will find out in just a few hours. In D.C., the House preparing to vote today on President Biden's spending plans. But after Tuesday's disaster for the Democrats, will any kind of infrastructure get done? Call it a rough ride. Shares of Peloton running out of steam on weak sales and a bad outlook. Vaccine mandates. Some big business groups are not happy with the latest White House directive. This as COVID cases continue to crash around the country. Happy Friday. Your weekly insider buying segment is back. And this week returns with a big name that has not one, not two, but eight insiders buying the stock. That name is revealed later in the show on this Friday, November 5th. And this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan. Happy Friday. Let us jump right in. There's a lot to do. The S&P and the NASDAQ both posting record closes yesterday. They are now on pace for their fifth straight week of gains right now. No indication of which way things are going to go. Dow futures down a touch. NASDAQ futures up. Speaking of tech, it has been a great week for most tech stocks. The NASDAQ is up nearly 3% since Monday, which would mean, unless it completely tanks today, its best weekly performance since early April. The NASDAQ is now up nine sessions in a row for the first time since an 11-day streak ended in December of 2019. So we rise today, rise Monday, we tie that streak of nearly two years ago. Just something to watch. We're also keeping a close eye on oil. This after OPEC Plus stuck to its plan yesterday and really snubbed pleas from the White House to pump more oil to help gas prices. OPEC saying they simply don't have the real ability to increase output. They're also worried about COVID slowdowns potentially in the winter. Keep in mind, it is possible, maybe even probable, that President Biden could order oil released from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, all part of an effort to slow down the increase in gasoline prices. Something there to watch that a lot of people are talking about might happen. All right, let's go down around the world because there are more real estate worries in China to report. Another Chinese real estate company, this one called Kaisa, missing a big payment to customers of its wealth management product. Shares were halted company is second only to Evergrande, remember them, in their debt load. The Hong Kong Hang Seng Index falling 1.5%. Kaisa, another real estate problem for China, something certainly to watch. And in Europe, we've got rather mixed trade. By the way, we've got some markets up, some markets down. No markets going in, in any clear direction. There you can see it. A programming note, by the way, all next week here on WEX, we are going to be live to you from London, trying to bring you an even greater global perspective. We've got some great guests lined up. We will talk more in-depth about their looming possible energy crisis this winter. So tune in, set the DVR, or check out the podcast later on in the day, live from London all next week. All right. But right now, why don't we stay stateside? And some of this morning's top stories, including 
news that we could finally see a House vote today on two big bills. Bertha Coombs here now with that and more on this Friday. Good Friday morning, Bertha. Good morning, Brian. The House is expected to vote today on that bipartisan infrastructure bill and President Biden's separate Build Back Better Act. Democratic leaders have been trying to hammer out final issues to secure support for the social spending legislation. Among the late changes last night, raising the cap on the state and local tax deduction, or SALT, from $10,000 to $80,000 through 2030. In corporate news this morning, shares of Peloton are getting crushed. The company reporting a bigger-than-expected loss and weakening sales growth. Peloton also slashing its full-year outlook, citing softer demand for its exercise equipment and continuing supply chain issues. And we're also watching shares of Uber today. Its loss was bigger than expected, in large part because of a drop in the value of its investment holdings, particularly in Didi, the ride-hailing chain in Asia. Uber did post its first ever adjusted profit, meeting its timeline for doing that, and revenues did top estimates. Don't miss Uber's CEO live on Squawk Box this morning. That'll be at 7.45 Eastern. So kind of a mixed bag from Dara. It'll be interesting to say, see what he has to say. Have you taken any Ubers lately, Bertha? I have. I know the prices in California and New York have gone sky high. I always ask the driver, are you making more money? And almost always they say no. So somebody's making more money. Yeah, it's hard to know, right? I mean, I, I'm not sure what what higher uh, infrastructure costs for the company there are. But uh, I, I do know that Lyft said that their drivers were making more money in part because you know, since there are fewer of them, they get more rides. Yeah, the ones that are working, hopefully are just working. Uh, I always tend to ask. We'll see what happens with those Uber results as well and what they have to say about that. Bertha, we'll see you in a few minutes. Thank you very much. All right, turning now to the broader markets because we're awaiting the October jobs number. That's right. It is out later on today, 30 a.m. Eastern time. Interest rates, they're holding steady, even as the Fed finally announcing their long-awaited slowdown in their bond-buying program, the so-called taper. So what happens to rates, markets, and even the U.S. dollar now? Joining us is Matthew Hornbach, head of macro strategy at Morgan Stanley. Matthew, good to have you back on the program. Uh, are, are you surprised that interest rates, I mean, they didn't do anything on the taper announcement, but I guess the bond market's job is to anticipate such things, is it not? Yeah, that's exactly right, Brian. Thanks for having me on the program again. Uh, I think ultimately investors knew that this announcement was coming. I mean, the Fed has done an extraordinary job of communicating clearly to the market that this is what should be expected as the economy make, had made substantial further progress towards the Fed's goals. The real question going forward is, could they speed up the tapering process? And I think Chair Powell really raised a high bar for that. Uh, we expect the process to last, as the Fed does, into the middle of next year, at which point the Fed will have more information with which to make a decision about what comes next. And what do you think does come next? They gave themselves the out on the taper. They could actually reverse their decision to, to taper off. They could change that in January. But everybody's more thinking now about rate hikes, actual hikes in interest rates by the Fed. 
got estimates on the street from anywhere from July of next year to out to 2024, I think. Where do you stand? Well, Brian, our economists have the Fed raising rates in early 2023. Uh, I think at this point, you know, that is broadly consistent with the dot plot that we received in September. I do think that there are still, though, questions about how the economy evolves next year. And the Fed, for its part, made it clear that it's still very uncertain and it really wants to see the next six months or so of data to get a better read, Brian, and, and to have more certainty about the outlook in a world where we're not dealing constantly with these uh, you know, waves of, of, of COVID-19. That's really what the Fed wants to see is a, a more normal world and then assess what's the next appropriate step. I, I would flag though, Brian, for your listeners that uh, it's not guaranteed that what comes next are rate hikes. It's possible that the Fed decides that this in this cycle, normalizing the balance sheet should have higher priority than lifting rates off of the zero lower bound. That is going to be an interesting discussion to monitor over the next several months. Yeah, because if we get some of these uh, spending bills done, we're going to add greatly to national debt. I mean, some people have argued, Matthew, we're not wading into politics, don't worry, but as we add to the debt, it almost becomes mathematically impossible to have interest rates go above a certain level. Well, Brian, I think ultimately the, the biggest driver of interest rates in the United States is Federal Reserve policy. And if they do begin to reduce the size of their balance sheet, it would almost certainly occur gradually. But that would put some upward pressure on interest rates. And furthermore, if the Fed were then to decide to start raising interest rates in the short end of the yield curve, uh, that would also put upward pressure on interest rates even further out the yield curve. So, Brian, ultimately, interest rates should go higher if the Fed does want to begin the process of tightening policy next year. Yeah, I'm also watching that uh, brief inversion of the 30-year yield going below the 20-year yield. We'll see if that means anything. We'll get you back on to talk about that. But for now, though, Matthew, we'll let you go. Start your Friday. Thank you very much. Appreciate you coming on. Thank you very much. All right, we are just starting our Friday. You're welcome. And when we come back here on WEX, this morning's big money movers, including a trio of household names and one producer of rare earth materials that all you CNBC viewers should know well. But as we head to break, check out the chips, not John and Punch, the socks, the semiconductor ETF, up about 8% in the past week, led by big jumps in NVIDIA and Qualcomm. Kramer making a call saying the sector is going to keep going higher. A very busy hour still ahead when Wex rolls on right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. 
FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. All right, welcome back. Time now for your big money movers. And kind of like the macro economy, we are not immune to inflation on this show because we're now going to give you four stock story, four stock stories of the morning. All right, stock number one. Pinterest sales jumping more than 40% in the third quarter, mostly boosted by demand from large retail advertisers. Pinterest seeing strong sales for the holiday season and says it has not faced any material impact from Apple's privacy changes to its new operating system. Stock number two is Square. Third quarter earnings and revenue missing forecast. Demand for Bitcoin slowed. Imagine that. Company's CFO does note volume picked up back in October. Stock three Airbnb, the company reporting record third quarter profit and revenue, just blew past estimates on the strength of summer travel and the continued recovery from the pandemic in North America, Europe, and Latin America. They also see a strong fourth quarter. That stock is up very nicely. People book in apartments, not hotels. And stock number four, the bonus stock, is MP Materials. You know, this is the California rare earth mine that you've seen me in a few times out there in the high desert. They dig up neodymium for magnets. It is the largest producer of rare earth materials in the Western Hemisphere. And it said that revenue more than doubled in the third quarter on record output and shipments driven by strong global demand. Get this. MP Materials now says it produced more raw rare earths last quarter than its predecessor. Remember, Molly Corp ended up going bankrupt, ever dug up in an entire year. So they did more in a quarter than Molly Corp at the same mine did in more than a year. MP Materials shares up big in the after hours. All right, still on deck here on WEX. Why a number of big business groups are worried and upset about President Biden's latest vaccine mandates. Can they do anything about it? Stay tuned. We're back after this. Today's big number, 0.6%. That's the share of all electricity used globally Bitcoin mining accounts for, according to the Cambridge Bitcoin Electricity Consumption Index. The Bitcoin industry has a carbon footprint roughly the size of New Zealand. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. All right, welcome back. Well, as the U.N. Climate Conference continues in Scotland, some countries' net zero goals have been in focus, got a lot of new countries making pledges. But a new report out from FTSE Russell Group shows that many countries' contribution determinations are still out of line with the Paris Accord, which could lead to a higher degree of warming than expected. So after nearly a week at the summit, let's find out where we are. Arna Stahl is the CEO of FTSE Russell and joins us now from Glasgow. Arna, good to have you on the program. We've got a lot of big promises. India joining the chorus as well, net zero by 2070. Uh, these are long, I mean, that's 50 years from now. Nobody making these promises 
is likely to be on this planet at, you know, by, by those times. Uh, are you happy or do you agree with where these countries' targets so far are? Uh, good morning and thank you for having me. Um, we, we've, uh, we've published a report, as you know, on the uh, implications of current climate targets and climate mitigation strategies of individual countries. And we've taken into account all these, these latest announcements and uh, the uh, projections that we give based on a, a science-based approach to understanding global warming trajectories clearly show that current uh, commitments, including the, the net zero commitments, are not aligned yet with the Paris-aligned uh, 1.5 degree warming trajectory. So th there's much more to be done. There. Yeah, yeah, and and there's a. I think even amongst that, it, it seems to me. And please correct me if I'm wrong. You're there. I'm not. You're the expert. I'm not. But when you don't have China showing up, when Russia, Mexico, Australia, which is a giant coal producer, saying or either saying or not saying that they're going to have any kind of a target. What does that mean for the world? Big polluters are not getting on board here. It's, uh, it's, it's very true what you're saying, that they have not all committed to particular climate mitigation strategies and particular targets. Uh, but the picture is very mixed among the countries that you just outlined. Some of them have uh, uh, plans in place. Some of them have other plans in place. Uh, net zero targets, some of them have them, some of them are missing. Uh, but by and large, the current plans that are in place, as you say, do not meet the, uh, the Paris Agreement target of 1.5 degrees. Um, so yes, these are very, very big uh, emitters of greenhouse gases. Uh, and over time, we will need to see those plans that get us to the, the 1.5 or at least below 2 degrees warming goal. What does it mean for investors? We've been at the Climate Summit. Diana Olick doing some amazing work up there. I'm going to be in England next week actually talking more about some of the energy woes in the short term. What does all this mean for investors? You guys are FTSE Russell Group. You come at everything from a financial perspective. What are some of the takeaways from the business, economic, or investing side that we need to know? Yeah, so, so we do this analysis to, to provide information to investment decision makers. And... Um, if you look at the targets and how they are not aligned yet with, uh, with the, the Paris Agreement and the 1.5 necessary uh, warming degree trajectory, it, 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 sounds, it sounds like there's a lot to do. But we see a lot of progress as well in the investment world. Uh, we see capital flow starting to move to be aligned with these climate outcomes that we're looking to achieve, this 1.5 degree warming goal. We see huge interest from asset owners, from pension funds, from several wealth funds, in mitigating climate risk and making their money work to, uh, to mitigate climate risk as well. Just this week, we've seen a, a large fund launch in the UK uh, where uh, three billion pounds was moved to, from a standard benchmark to a benchmark that is aligned with, with climate outcomes. And, and we see that, uh, that trend accelerating. So I, I'm hopeful that the financial community and investors have a, a key role to play here in meeting our uh, requirements, our climate requirements. And let's hope, yeah, it's a big conference that some concrete targets are, are not only just mouthed, but they are met down the road. That's the key. It's not the words. It's the action. Arna Stahl of FTSE Russell Group. Arna, good luck in Glasgow. I think there's another week to go. <laughs> Long way to go still. Thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Now to some other big trending stories happening right now, including 
The new mayor of New York apparently loves Bitcoin, a gorgeous new world record, and some big business bothered by Biden's vaccine mandate. Bertha Coombs is here now with more on those. Where are we starting this morning, Bertha? Well, let's start out with Apple, actually. Apple is no longer going to require customers to wear masks in almost half of its stores starting today. Masks will still be required for employees and in areas with local mask mandates like here in New York. This as some business groups, including the National Retail Federation and the NFIB, have expressed concerns about the January 4th deadline by the White House requiring vaccination or weekly testing of all employees. Now, the groups say the deadline will burden businesses during an already busy holiday season. Meantime, incoming New York City Mayor Eric Adams saying he will be taking his first three paychecks in Bitcoin. I'm not even sure how he does that or how they'll do that. But the declaration came as a Twitter reply to Miami Mayor Francis Suarez, who said he would be taking his next paycheck in Bitcoin. Spokesperson for the campaign saying that Adams would convert his pay into Bitcoin via an exchange since the city can only currently issue salaries in U.S. dollars. And the Indian city of Ayodhya and forgive me if I'm mispronouncing it, keeping its Guinness World Record, look how pretty that is, as it lit up over 900,000 earthen lamps for Diwali. About 14,000 volunteers set up the lamps along the the banks of the city's main river. This is the third year the city has received that official world record. And soon you'll be able to get the popcorn with the movie theater butter outside of the movie theater. AMC Theaters announcing that it will begin selling microwavable popcorn at supermarkets and convenience stores next year. Company also plans to launch some of its own stores, which will serve the freshly popped snack. So one more thing at the mall, Brian, you'll have to navigate the smell of the, those, you know, those, those cinnamon buns and the popcorn as you're walking through. Yeah, and just more reason for the AMC Ape trading accounts maybe to be to be happy about it. The buttered <laughs> we'll call that the buttered popcorn trade as well. Listen, I mean, bit however they pay the mayor of New York, Bitcoin, Shiba Inu, uh, gold, I don't care. I'm glad we have <laughs> well, a new mayor. Bitcoin, I'm not going to I'm not Doge afraid coin. to editorialize. <laughs> yeah, whatever any coin. How about this? Getting the new mayor in there, <laughs> New York coming out of COVID. Uh, there's a lot to be optimistic. It's been a long 18 months in New York. I was just there the other day, Bertha. I know you live there. Yeah. Uh, just getting a change in the city is probably a good thing. I think it is. I think it is. It's long. It's, it's long awaited. You can feel that pent up demand to get back out there. Get back out there. Have some fun. Clean it up. New York City is back on the rise. I'd love to see it as well. Bertha, we'll, we'll get a cocktail at some point. Bertha Coombs, thank you very much. Although not right after the show because it would be like 6 a.m. and <laughs> something, you can only, something you can only do at the airport. Bertha, thank you. All right, coming up, a live report from that place right there. The sun not yet up over Washington. The House preparing for two big votes today and maybe a nice tax break for many of you watching or listening right now. We'll tell you why. And if you haven't already, follow the podcast. If you missed the show any day, just, you know, follow it up, crank it up, listen up. We're glad you're up. We're back right after this.
Good morning. After months of debate, last-minute negotiations, the House finally preparing to vote today on President Biden's spending bills and a separate infrastructure package. Could it mean a big tax break for you? A live report from Capitol Hill straight ahead. First, it was Evergrande spooking the global markets. Now, there is another Chinese property developer potentially in trouble. Investors, they're taking notice. And some good news. Your weekly insider buying segment is back, and this week returns with a big name you'll know that had eight, that's right, eight insiders buy the stock. That name revealed in moments on this Friday, November 5th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, welcome or welcome back, and good Friday morning, everybody, or good evening if you're in Asia. I'm Brian Sullivan. Thanks for joining us. Let us hit your Friday money futures right now. They are not giving us a lot of help and indication. Remember, it is early, though. We do have the jobs number coming out here in about uh, three hours' time. We are seeing, though, NASDAQ futures start to tick up a bit. The NASDAQ, by the way, is on a nine-session win streak. Today, we finish higher. That'd be 10. Monday, we go up 10 plus 1. That's 11. And I say 11 because that would tie the 11-session winning streak going back to December of 2019. Bottom line is this. Technology's on a hell of a run lately. How about that? You know what else is, too? Small caps, they continue to be a star. The Russell 2000 is up 9% in just three months. Here's a random but interesting fact. There are 43 stocks in the S&P small cap 600 that are up more than 25% in just five weeks. Seven of those are up more than 50%, just over a month. And the top performing stock in that index, get this, it's a digital fax company called Consensus Cloud Solutions. Never heard of them. CCSI, that's like up 80. It's not like a TV show. Up 80% in five weeks. So small caps, they have been on a tear. All right, now let's get to some of this morning's top headlines and stories, including the House getting ready to vote on two big bills today. Lon Moy joining us now from the nation's capital with the very latest. And Lon, another day for you that's going to be like 5 a.m. to 5 a.m. potentially tomorrow. It's a big day on the Hill. Well, well, you know, Brian, lawmakers are supposed to go on recess after today, so I'm hoping they're going to wrap this up pretty quickly because Democrats in the House are finally planning to vote on President Biden's economic agenda today, both the infrastructure bill and that bigger social spending package. Now, members were haggling over the legislation until about midnight last night. Two of the outstanding issues were the cost and how to handle that cap on state and local tax deductions. Now, the Congressional Budget Office has not provided an official price tag for the social spending package just yet, but lawmakers did get an estimate of how much revenue it would raise. The Joint Committee on Taxation projected it would bring in $1.5 trillion in revenue over the decade. That includes $814 billion in corporate hikes and $640 billion in new individual taxes. Now, the Biden administration said another $400 billion would come from enhanced IRS enforcement and that it expects to save about $250 billion from negotiating the cost of prescription drugs. All told, Democrats believe their plan generates $2.2 trillion in revenue, covering the cost and reducing the deficit in the long run. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen endorsed those numbers, saying, quote, Congress has put together a package that is fiscally responsible and critical to the future prosperity of our economy. Now, as for SALT, the House settled on lifting the cap on deductions to $80,000 through 2030. It would then go back down to $10,000 in 2031 and then expire altogether after that. 
Of course, the Senate has a totally different plan, and that means whatever might pass the House today will likely get changed in the Senate later. So the upper chamber is hoping to pass a social spending package by Thanksgiving, Brian. We'll see if they make it. Back over to you. All right. A lot to unpack there on the salt, by the way, for for people that live where you live here in New Jersey, New York, whatever, they got to love that. But a lot of these bills and a lot of these pay-fors do seem to be sunset and sort of accounting I don't want to call them gimmicks, but accounting, uh, you know, this is going to fade out after so many years. You can call it a gimmick. That affects. You can call it a gimmick. Yes. Okay. Okay. Thank you. If you say I can do it, I'll do it because you're the D.C. expert. Okay. These darn gimmicks where they basically say, hmm, we can't afford that. So let's just end it one year earlier because politicians, by the way, many of them probably won't be in office anymore by the time these things wear out. They know one thing. Once you give somebody something, it is very difficult to take it back. Yeah, absolutely. So the SALT provision is just a prime example of that. One of the things that has been difficult about adjusting the cap is how much it would cost. And so one of the ways they're sort of dealing with that is that the SALT cap is set to expire anyway in 2025. So actually, by putting a cap on the amount of the deduction after 2025, they're technically raising revenue um, and that at the end of the day, they expect this provision to be revenue neutral, meaning it won't cost anything at all. The reality is, as you point to point out, Brian, is that in 2025, there's going to be another massive debate over what taxes look like. And the bet that lawmakers are placing is that they'll be able to get rid of that cap altogether or lift it even more uh, by 2025. Yeah. I mean, it's not the perfect metaphor, I guess, but it's like you come home with a car and your spouse is like, we can't afford that. And you're like, don't worry. We're not going to keep it for five years. We're going to sell it after four. I mean, that's kind of what they're doing to say it's, the car doesn't cost me 50000 It costs me 50000 minus 12 months of payments. They're, every time there's a complaint about the cost of something, because they're not really planning to raise a lot of revenue outside of increased IRS audits, it seems like, which, by the way, is probably going to be a tax of the middle class in some ways, that they're just doing it by sunsetting a lot of this stuff. I mean, that's that's kind of what they're doing. And by the way, the salt tax deduction cap, which, by the way, I, many of our viewers probably love it. If you're in a high tax state, that's actually a tax break for many higher income people. Not that there's anything wrong with that. It is. It is. And, and an economist, Jason Furman, pointed out on Twitter last night that by, you know, the original plan the House had put forward at one point yesterday was to raise the cap to $72,500. At the end of the day, they raised that cap to $80,000. And Furman said that just that increase in the cap, probably the entire benefit of that goes all to millionaires. So it's a little bit difficult for Democrats to square well. uh, showing that the which could see a net tax cut from the increase in the uh, yeah. salt cap, at least in the beginning. OK, I, I, we don't need to get we don't need to get personal a lot. I know. If, I mean, listen, with all due respect to Jason Furman, that's wrong. I mean, they're going to get a bigger benefit because they have more taxes that they can deduct from. But I can assure you there are plenty of middle class families in New Jersey that pay more than ten thousand dollars in state and local taxes. You can have a very average home ta- in New Jersey and pay $15,000 in property taxes. The Tax Policy Center estimates that the average benefit to middle-class uh, households, those are those making up to about $94,000 a year, is about $20. And that the top 5% of households will receive about 40% yeah. of the benefit from raising the cap on salt. 
Yeah, but I wonder if that's a national view because there are states where property taxes are it, low. It what I'm national. saying is that it if you have a national. high property. Yeah, yeah. If you're a teacher and an accountant in New Jersey and you have a $500,000 home, your property taxes are probably close to $20,000. So you were only able to deduct 10. Now you can deduct all 20. I know they're not, they're not putting the kid through college with that kind of money. Yes, of course, whenever there's a tax rate cut, the benefit's going to fall to the people that make the highest. That's called math. Right. A small percentage of a bigger number is a bigger number. But there's going to be people in your neighborhood and New Jersey and Boston and whatever that that are not millionaires who do benefit. I hope. So one interesting point I will say is I spoke to I spoke to Senator Ron Wyden about this yesterday, and he said that salt has never been about tax policy. It's always been about punishing blue states. So you can see exactly how political <laughs> this provision has been, uh, both both on Capitol Hill and obviously we, in, in individual neighborhoods. We, I think it got picked up, and I'm not tooting the old horn here, but I, when, it, when it came out, I called it Trump's blue state payback tax. I think that might have gotten picked up somewhere, but <laughs> yeah, that's all it was, right? We need to raise money. Let's raise money on the people who, who didn't vote for me, which is going to be the people who tend to be in the blue states with the higher taxes. Uh, Elon Moy, it's going to be a long day for you. I've taken up enough of your valuable time. Thanks for coming on. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Brian. All right. Thank you. All right. You're very welcome. All right. Let's give you a quick coffee shot of some other stocks to watch today. Number one, Expedia. Shares taken off. Earnings and revenue beating estimates. Gross bookings up 117%. Our GOAT, Get Out and Travel Index, should love that. But are the people getting out eating burgers? Shake Shack posting a smaller than expected loss, but revenues missed the mark. The fast food restaurant chain's outlook disappointing investors. Still, shares on the rise. Speaking of food, Yelp benefiting from the so-called reopen trade. Get out and travel. The online review site posting much better than expected earnings. And forecast record sales among the big driver. An increase in ad revenues from restaurants, retail, and other businesses that want your business. And then there is the concert business. Live Nation shares rising this morning. The Ticketmaster and Live Nation's concerts parent posting a big jump in sales as people return to in-person events. The strong demand leading to higher ticket prices and on-site spending at venues. All right, coming up, it is Jobs Friday. RBC Capital Markets Chief U.S. Economist Tom Porcelli is here. Why you need to pay attention to the jobs number and this week's election results. He'll tie them together. And a reminder, follow our podcast. We're back after this. All right. It is Jobs Friday. And once again, there are some high estimates. The average gain for jobs in October is about 450,000. That's the average estimate of all the economists out there, although some are well above that, some below. The question is whether there are enough workers. However, as RBC's chief economist Tom Porcelli points out, Tuesday's election also matters from an economic perspective. And he joins us now on the CNBC Newsline. Tom, welcome uh, before we get to your jobs number estimate, I want to talk about that election results. We're not politicizing it, but yep. Jay Powell's job may or may not be in focus. Uh, the election results, you believe, could also influence the economy vis-a-vis the Federal Reserve. Tie them together for for us. <laughs> yeah, so good morning. Yeah, so look, um, I, I think it's, we continue to field questions on, on whether or not Powell will get renominated. And our view straight through has been that, that, that he would. Um, I mean, I think his his odds, from our perspective, took a bit of a hit just after all of the the, the trading issues uh, at some of those regional Federal Reserve banks. Um, but nevertheless, we still thought that he would he would get through. But I think if you think about Tuesday's election, um, you know, if if it's if it's reasonable to. Conc- 
to conclude that, you know, some of what happened there was, you know, the voters basically saying, hey, push, push things a bit back toward the center, um, then we think that that, that probably favors uh, Powell being renominated by the Biden administration. The, you know, the, the alternative um, for Powell uh, really was, was Brainerd, um, Fed Governor Brainerd, who, you know, I think we all appreciate is, um, you know, dovish relative, certainly relative to even, even Powell. So we think in that context, if, if, if you know, the midterm elections are in focus um, for the administration uh, and, and the team, um, you know, it, it might seem like a safer bet to, to choose a Biden over someone who might be, you know, sort of more, more dovish. So that, that was a tie in there that, that, that we were thinking about. Again, let me be clear. I don't think this is a game changer thing. I mean, I think we, we always thought he was going to get in anyway. Um, but we think that this just sort of solidifies it to some extent. Yeah, but it also may, to your point, though, may mean that, you know, you want to have if, if Powell stays in, it, it's clear he's a smart guy that he needs to be maybe a little more dovish for longer. Correct. I mean, that that right now heading into the midterms of next year after what happened on Tuesday is no time to take your foot off the gas pedal, with the exception of trying to maybe dial back inflation. And, and as your colleague Halima Croft will point out, maybe throw a little oil on the market vis-a-vis the strategic petroleum reserve. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I think when it comes to the Federal Reserve, I, you know, I don't think that, um, and I think this is reasonable, um, at least to some extent, I don't think that, you know, Powell is thinking to himself, hey, you know, the, the voters spoke, I, ne- I need to be more dovish. <laughs> I, 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 you know, I, I, um, I just don't think that he thinks of the world in, in those terms. And I think most reasonable people within the Fed um, sort of would subscribe to the, to the same philosophy. So I, I don't think given what happened there means that he's going to be more dovish. I mean, look, the reality is yep. he, he has been pretty dovish. Um, you know, he's been uh, more focused on, on labor than uh, the, the inflation backdrop. Um, I think he's starting to change his tone in, in that regard to some extent. Um, but look, I, I think the market, you know, for all the dovishness that he may have um, spoken about on, uh, uh, on, uh, yep. d- during the presser, I think the reality there is that the market looked right through it. I mean, Fed Fund's futures pricing didn't change. Um, you know, for rates market didn't really move. Um, so I think that they were looking through it to some extent. I mean, the market is still pricing in north of two hikes for next year, you know, despite some of his dovishness. Yeah, and quickly, your estimate for the jobs number today, I forgot to talk about that. Yeah, yeah no, no worries at all. So, uh, look, we're looking for 500,000 jobs. Um, I, you know, I think that's a, a touch north of consensus. Um, I, I wouldn't make a big deal of that. I mean, look, at Brian, as you and I have talked about um, last month and in months past, look, this report is suffering from uh, some seasonal issues, um, and they're having a hard time adjusting it. Uh, so, uh, you know, I wouldn't take too much from it. Here's what I would – if I would leave you with anything, I would leave you with this. No matter what happens today, I think keep in mind we have – uh, you know, a large swath of other labor market metrics that are all doing really well, whether it's the ADP yeah. report from earlier this week, whether it's the confidence measures related to um, the employment backdrop, whether it's jobless claims. Right? I mean, there's a whole host of other metrics that are really driving home that the labor market's in really fine shape yeah. right now and moving in the right direction. Okay. We are watching that number. You're in the, on the hook for 500. Stamp it. I'll call 517 just because why not? <laughs> I'm just guessing. Tom, thank you very much. Appreciate Thanks, it, brother. Bro. All right, on deck. You're welcome. It is back. A Wex fan favorite, your weekly insider buying segment in one big name company with eight insiders snapping up shares this week. We'll name that name ahead. But as we take a break, some of the other top stories right now, AT&T and Verizon delaying a 5G rollout, which have been planned for next month. They're going to work on the with the FAA on concerns about potential interference with airplane cockpit systems. Yikes. 
Meantime, the U.S. government has canceled a contract of more than $600 million with Emergent Biosolutions. That is the COVID vaccine maker, remember, last year that ruined millions of doses for J&J and had to halt production for months after regulators raised serious quality concerns. We are back with Insider Buying and the doctor, John Najarian, next. All right, welcome back now for some very good Friday news. Insider buying, it is back. Remember that during quarterly earnings season, we take a pause on it because insiders have to take a pause. But until the next round of earnings begins in January, we are back and we are thrilled. And if you're new here, this is the five companies whose corporate insiders and board members, CEOs, CFOs, etc., bought the most of their own stock with their own money. These aren't corporate buybacks. These are people buying their own stock. And as always, we count you down five to one. Here we go. Number five, Dow Holdings, the CEO stepping in with a $280,000 buy. The fourth most insider buying is barge maker Kirby, ticker Kex, like Wex. Board member buying $528,000 worth, stock down 12% in three months, maybe buying on a little weakness. Stock number three is Calix. It's the opposite. That stock's been red hot, up 138% this year. And the former chairman and current board member buying 899000 worth of the stock. The second most insider buying is the one we've been teasing. A big name and a big story. Intel. An insider buying 998000 of the stock. It's a board member, but that is not the entire story. According to InsiderScore.com, this buy was just one of eight buys by insiders in the past week who bought a combined $4.7 million worth of Intel, one of, if not the, biggest clusters of insider buys at Intel ever. Eight insiders buying nearly $5 million worth. We just go with single insider buys, so the other seven didn't make the cut. But that is a stock to watch. And the most insider buying this week, kind of a similar story, Renaissance Reinsurance, R&R, the CEO buying $2.16 million. And like Intel, the CEO was just one of five insiders buying a bunch of stocks. So there you are, the five biggest insider buys, Dow, Kirby, Calix, Intel, and Renaissance Re, names to watch. And we will do this again next Friday right here on WEX. All right, let's stick down to where the market action is and bring in one of our favorite people and good friend, John Nigerian, Market Rebellion co-founder and a CNBC contributor. John, we got, maybe we should do a little options activity on Intel, eight different insider buys, but you're looking at a couple of different pieces of options activity uh, and some of the consumer names. Yeah. Uh, in particular, Brian, uh, these consumer discretionary plays have done exceptionally well. In fact, I dare say that we're seeing the most outperformance um, in that sector. I mean, tech is OK uh, as far as what it's delivered so far. We've had some nice pops here and there, but nothing like you've seen in Bed Bath & Beyond or in Capri, you know, the parent company of Versace. Uh, and a whole bunch of other brands, those stocks have seen double-digit jumps uh, in the case of, obviously, Bed Bath & Beyond, 57% in a single session. Um, those are the kind of things wow. that will catch your interest, Brian. And for that reason, I figured I'd throw a couple of these uh, consumer discretionary names that are also setting up nicely right now. Yeah, and it's interesting, too, looking at your notes here. You've got Best Buy, BBY. you got Bed Bath & Beyond, BBBY. Hopefully people aren't just making a ticker mistake. But it, it does appear, John, yep. that there's a lot of buying in these types of names. I mean, these are retailers that got the, the you-know-what kicked out of them before. They sometimes can be heavily shorted. 
Yeah, and obviously people worry all the time, Brian, that do they really have the goods? Um, and by that, I don't mean the leadership team. I mean, you know, do they have what consumers are going to go in and buy in two weeks? <laughs> uh, yeah. And in the case of Best Buy, our channel checks say they do. They are stacked up. It almost looks like in the old days of a Walmart where there's stuff in the aisles and everything. Um, Best Buy looks like they're really positioned for Black Friday. And uh, I've always said that the, one of the great setup trades every year is you buy these retailers um, at Labor Day and you sell on Black Friday or just a little thereafter. They're buying the December 130 calls with uh, Best Buy trading at about 127. So obviously that captures Black Friday and then some. And the other one is Party City, Brian. Um, and I could make wow. all kinds of jokes about that, but man, this one's been off to the races. Party City was $7 or $6.50 stock two weeks ago. Um, it's moved up into the mid eights. And they've been right and right and right by that. Mean, I mean, they've been buying in here and then they roll up and then they sell out those profits and roll up again. They're doing that right now. They're buying the November nine calls with the stock at about 850. Not a tremendous move. You could say if it was an $85 mm. stock, could it see 90? You know, that sort of metric. And in this case, the buys have been extremely large, tens of thousands of uh, wow. You know, of a stock that basically makes a lot of money around the holidays, you know, whether it's people getting ready for Thanksgiving or obviously just past uh, Halloween, the Party City is set up for that nicely. And, and maybe a stock that the apes might like as well, just because one of these sort of beaten up, formerly beaten up names to talk about mm -hmm. off consumer retail, totally separately. Also, I'd never heard of the company UI Path. Path, P-A-T-H is the ticker, yeah. robotic automation play as much as I understand it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they're buying 12,000 of the November uh, 60 calls. That's what the, this stock trading at about uh, $57 a share. So automation and uh, this one looks like it's set up nicely. Uh, so I'd say a two week hold on this one, Brian. And the call buying was, like I say, 12,000. It's 1.2 million share equivalent. That's a big purchase at about the same level that you were just talking about Intel as far as the dollar commitment. Yeah. John Nigerian bringing the path, bringing the party, bringing the best buy. We're going we're gonna to buy a TV, a purse, some plates, and then wear a hat and throw confetti. That's kind of the – we just summed up the entire segment. John, have a great day, buddy. You – all right, thank you. And, folks, thank you for watching Worldwide Exchange today and all week. We are live from London all next week as well with some great stories to tell. We'll see you then. Picking up coverage on a jobs report Friday. Squawk Box is next. Have a great weekend. Take care. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. 
That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.